Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well today. Um, we don't have egregious amounts of wind going into the microphones, so that's, that's a big plus. Yeah, this is uh, attempt number two for this episode. Uh, yesterday was uh, an attempt at our uh, favorite closed or mostly closed uh, farm brewery, Wessex Farm. Yep. And uh, we got everything out. We hooked everything up, and it sounded like we were doing wind tunnel testing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think as you had commented uh, yesterday when we were running into those issues, um really would have been smarter for us to do something like test one of the microphones before hooking up literally every piece of equipment that we yeah. have. Yeah, everything. All, all, <laughs> all of our headphones, everything. Yeah, might have been. Yeah, before we were then like, uh, I, I think I, I glanced over at the... Uh, the, the pod track right before we started and I could just see the bars going insane from both of our microphones while neither of us were speaking. And I'm like, Oh, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, it kind of <laughs> felt like a, a big airplane bearing down on us. The, the, it, it the, the sound. Yeah, it, it did. Um, uh, more so than when we, um, recorded relatively close to the uh, Cincinnati Northern Kentucky airport and yeah. actually had planes. That was uh, not as bad. Yeah, we were not scared of those planes. <laughs> yes, yesterday was a little scary. Speaking of the pod track, I was about to tell you this before we got on, on microphone. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, I always need reinforcement on the things that, that we buy. And uh, so another review of this came out, and, and so I watched it the other day, and the guy was – Liked it as well as we like it, mm -hmm. but he was like, oh, the battery does not get what they say it gets. And he even tried it with uh, rechargeables, which in theory should perform better than the right. uh, maybe old double A's that I had from Amazon Basics. Um, and he said, uh, depending on how many people were plugged in. He was only getting between forty-five minutes to a little over an hour. Okay, so, so that's 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 not anomalous. The behavior we were seeing. No, because I've been I've actually been worried about that. I'm like, you know, did we get a bum unit? And yeah, we're kind of we've had it probably too long anyway to do anything about it. But it had bothered me a bit, and um, everything else seems to work okay. And so he, he kind of validated that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I know, um, right when we had, uh, experienced that, when we did that recording, uh, relatively close to the airport, when I went home after that, I had done some digging online, uh, to see if I could find anything about that battery life. And, and literally like no one had mentioned it in the, the reviews, but it was also so new. There were hardly any reviews. There were just, um, nobody had videos up of it. It was like, I was reading reviews on like, you know, the, the best buy websites, uh, for the, the product listing, right. Where people would write stuff and it's like, Open them all, Command F, battery, just nothing. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like we were on the really bleeding edge of this yeah. this one. Um, thankfully, it works well. I know that there was a Kickstarter you and I looked at. Don't mm -hmm. even remember what it was. I, I don't recall, yeah. Um, and I heard some problems after those got delivered with some people complaining about the quality of the recording and such. So uh, I've never gone back to see if, if any of that got fixed with firmware or yeah. other things. Yeah, I actually I wonder as well, because um, I, I really wasn't even thinking about the perspective of, you know, what the microphones are drawing. I wonder, too, how much additional power the cloud lifter draws, too, that kind of would factor into that as well for kind of what we what we saw with 40 some minutes or whatnot uh, before it was juiced. 
Absolutely. And I think the guy that I, that I saw in the latest review, I think he was a big cloud lifter guy. I mm-hmm. think he had the cloud lifter as well. Yeah. He also tried it in all the ways, which was interesting and, and we should experiment maybe, but, uh, uh, phone calls coming in and, and Bluetooth. He had the Bluetooth adapter, which we don't have. Right. And um, connecting to the computer and doing some things that way. So um, it'd be interesting to to try some of the other things. But this has been crazy easy and uh, it's worked well for us. I don't know how many episodes we've knocked out, but what, probably seven or eight since we've had this thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the point where it's. Um we much prefer to drive to to be able to meet up somewhere and and go out of our way to kind of find places we can record just to use this as opposed to trying to do it um uh, just wholly remote um, yeah i think we get a better product yeah having to mess with you know handbrake and, and all that stuff um it will be interesting though i was actually kind of thinking about when you mentioned some of the stuff about you know tying in phone calls to it or whatnot um but we'll have to probably I won't spoil anything we have. We have plans for another episode with a very special guest. Mm, absolutely. Um, that, that we'll have to kind of figure out the logistics of, of that one. What um, would we drink? Because, you know, I don't think she likes beer. <laughs> Will uh, John... Every time. I so, so we're, so, we're going to fix that in post. Yeah, no, we're, no, we're, we're, we're definitely not <laughs> fixing it. This is like the second time I've done the exact same thing. And I have no idea why I'm convinced that sound clip is on that button. I think after this, I should just fucking move the thing. We, <laughs> so we, I, we, we should probably put them in a, in a particular order. Oh, um, Lord. I thought about because we talked about some other podcasts and one that I want to do. I thought about maybe we ought to have cards of what's on those, uh, those pads. Um, a little more straightforward. So, so let's try this again. So, so we are going to have a special guest, but I'm not sure she likes beer. Well, I can't, I can't hit it yet. Cause, oh, the, cause the, the other one's still it's going. Still, it's still going. If I, if I unmute it, we'll, we'll have the ending music still. Uh, but, all right. Uh, then, yeah, then, it's, then it's, it's, it's a wash. I've, yeah. I've, I've, just shit ruined it for that one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, is, I, I forgot the cups when we came here. I hit the wrong button. It's uh, yeah. hey, you know what? This is uh, this is a Saturday, right? And uh, I woke up at like eight thirty. So that's that's my excuse across the board. And and I texted you and said, "Dude, what the fuck is going on? Why are you up? Because because you're never up." I saw the uh, I saw the the email you sent that was uh, a meeting. You, you'd scheduled a meeting for. Uh, a Monday, uh, a couple weeks from now, and uh, I, I was sitting on my couch. I just sat down, and like I'm waiting for the coffee to brew, and uh, I saw that, and I'm I'm responding to the, the the meeting, accepting it, and I'm like, oh, Mark's gonna be so confused when he gets this. I was, I was like, <laughs> I was like, who who just said yeah, okay, to the meeting? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. So that's my excuse, and I'm uh, I'm sticking to it. Um, that's that's a long. It's a long outro song. We didn't clip it, so yeah, it's the we didn't full like that. two minutes. So maybe, I think it's maybe the, we should go. Should we could, should do that at some point. Yeah. So um, another thing before we get into the show, the uh, so so we were using prior to COVID the Rode Rodecaster Pro, yep. and um, I've seen a little bit of you know online video and and stuff, but but not a ton. But uh, we're going to talk about some reading today, kind of mm-hmm. different than we normally have. 
And um, as as our vast audience knows, I like to read every night before I go to bed. And one of the places I start is Flipboard, and one of the um, places that I have in Flipboard is Gear Patrol. And so the uh, the leading newest article on Gear Patrol last night was uh, singing the wonderful praises of the Rode Roadcaster Pro. Nice. So uh, uh, I guess it seems like it has uh, um, got some groundswell movement. I think maybe a month or so ago, um, Justine did an overview of it so she did a unboxing and overview of it uh road is providing her and her sister one for their various podcasts so um, i'm not sure they're using it on video it was unclear to me but they were Mm -hmm. certainly using it on their podcast and they were uh, pretty glowing uh by the way yeah that's you you interrupted me earlier today and i didn't get to finish watching the <laughs> the Justine video about home automation. Yeah, so. well, we we you know I apologize for that. I understand that's a it's a big sacrifice. So I do appreciate that. But, but what did I do? We, we had really important work yes. to do, right? Because we were uh, we were planning this this meetup to record, and and you asked me to pick the beer, and uh, but but you were going to bring the beer. So of course I had to ask you what beer you had uh to which i believe your response was all of them um after which you proceeded to take a break from your video to send me approximately 43 pictures i think it was of all the different uh beer that you have including some really nice ones that were uh handy close-ups of crowlers and whatnot so uh, i i had my work cut out for me in in deciding today i, I do think my statement all of them was fairly close because there were accurate. a lot of one-offs 12 ounce can one-offs still in there yeah yeah the, the I orphans noticed, yeah i noticed some of those that were in there i even noticed uh, the there was one it, it confused me a little bit because i recognized the can and i didn't know why and there was just like a tiny piece of it you could see and i think it was like a capital e and then like um a state outline on it it was north carolina and i was like it's elevator lady mark gave brandy and i one of those for an episode we recorded that's why i recognized that can so i'm like he's got some eclectic stuff in there yeah i think i got four of those and i had one yeah gave you all each one and still have one left yeah, it was so you you've got quite the the collection although um the, I guess the one benefit to uh you know we we weren't able to get our recording done yesterday but I did take the opportunity since we were at the farm to uh diversify my fridge. So Oh, you did. Yeah, yes. yeah, I've got um I bought more um key lime pie PA from West 6. I I picked that up the last time we were at the farm and really liked it. Um, and then they have, uh, they had one I hadn't had before. It was called Buried in the Bluegrass, uh, Buried, B-E-R-R-I-E-D. Um, and it's like a, a blueberry sour. So I haven't tried that yet, but I was pretty excited about that as well. So I, I opened my fridge this morning to pull out the half and half for my coffee. And I was like, look at that. It's not all Braxton. How about that? I wondered if you had one of the Buried <laughs> in the Bluegrass last night. Um, I really like it. I, I keep going back and forth of whether this year was better than last year, but uh, I, I really like it. One of the things that um, uh, one of my favorite beer tenders always has done at the farm, she's now down in Louisville, Caitlin, but she would uh, mix. 
Mm. And and one of my favorites is um, the uh, the low beam with a little bit of one of those sours, Ooh. and you get you get all of the. New England sort of style IPA, the hazy, and, and it's not half and half. It's just a little bit. Right. But uh, I remember last year with a, a Buried in the Bluegrass, it was like really, really good. I could see that being really good. Yeah, just that like little hint of it to add some of the fruit flavor, a little bit of the sour. I, I, that, but that'd be good. Yeah, so uh, I don't think they had any on tap yesterday, right? Uh, they did not, no, because I, I looked for that to see if I could try it before I just grabbed a four-pack of it, but uh, they, they didn't. So I just, One of the farm regulars, uh, when they have it on tap, Ronnie, is is always, yeah. he, he really, really enjoys that one. Shout out to Ronnie if, uh, <laughs> if you're listening to the episode. Um, shout out to the uh, Gracies if yeah. you are uh, listening to this episode on your way to your Christmas adventure in Florida I believe on Siesta Key. Nice. I was gonna say it was in the Keys, right? Yeah. Uh, Siesta Key, which I th- think is off of the left coast, south of Tampa and Sarasota. Um, John's gonna real time fact check that now because I have actually not been there, but uh, it is a happening place that lots of people like. Yeah, I've uh, b- boom. You were spot on. Yep, you were spot on. It's just right below Sarasota. How big a place does it look like? Pretty small. Uh yeah. It's it's uh, it, it looks like it's really long and narrow, like a lot ah. of them are. But um, yeah. Okay. Cool. That's that's in like the the Apple Maps preview that pops up when you search DuckDuckGo. So uh, ah. take that all for frame of reference it's a tiny window yeah and and along those lines hell it it, it could be in nebraska with uh, the way sometimes apple maps works <laughs> yeah it is uh it is interesting to me that um that that's uh, that's who DuckDuckGo went with uh though i guess you know their their whole thing is uh being sort of a privacy centric uh search engine that if you're going to compare yeah, really, what are your options, right? You're right. going to go Apple, you're going to go Bing, or you're going to go Google, I think, between those three from a privacy perspective. Yeah, uh, you definitely go Apple. Apple's the, the, the least evil. Um, and I don't think projects like uh, some cool stuff, but I don't think projects like OpenStreetMap have the, the level of detail that anybody's going to require to actually use that as a service. So um, no, makes makes sense. That's what they want. Yeah, we... Um Jenny and I ended up uh, going to uh, a brewery in uh, Asheville, and we had Apple Maps up, and uh, it took um, it took us all the way through the woods to grandmother's house <laughs> to get there. And then when we left, and we needed to get to our hotel, which was at the same exit we got off of and drove by our hotel. Uh, it took us back to the hotel, which was about a three-minute drive, that we didn't have to go through the woods to grandmother's house. And so uh, um, it was an interesting uh, trip to uh, New Belgium Brewing. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Places. That's what you went through, yeah. Yeah. So it, a number of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember, um, obviously, I've, I've only had my iPhone for about a year now, just under a year. Uh, and I've, I've been using Apple Maps as my 
my navigation solution since I've I've switched and it it hasn't led me astray yet. Uh, I think they've improved it quite a bit because I do remember when Apple Maps first launched and people were saying it was really terrible. Um, we were going to lunch one day at work and our a good friend of the podcast, who never listens to the podcast, but is a butt of many jokes, uh, Garrett, he drove to uh, a Thai restaurant in Frankfort, Kentucky that we like, um, which we knew the way, but we did Apple Maps navigation just to see what it would do. And there, there was one point where it literally wanted us to drive uh, where there was no road <laughs> in order to get yeah. there. And we're like... All right, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty good. Jenny and I were going to uh, a big maker fair in uh, Cincinnati. So the Cincinnati Maker Fair, I don't know, probably three or four years ago, and it's on a uh, a county, uh, might be Hamilton County, I'm not sure, um, fairgrounds. And so we were going up 75. Seemed like it was a straight shot up there, a, a turn off the interstate, mm-hmm. and a couple of twists, and you were there. And it had us get off at this exit. We're like, oh, there must be a wreck or something. And then it drove us on a road beside the interstate. There were no wrecks. And it put us back on the interstate <laughs> at the ne- next entrance exit to the interstate. And we were just like scratching our head. And uh, it's like, it's Apple Maps. That's, that's, that's what it does. That's what it does. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's about the experience. So, John, um, COVID is uh, – um, Getting worse. We're we're uh, we're about to see the the we're already seeing the beginnings of the Thanksgiving surge and uh, and now we're in the Christmas party uh, uh, surge or the, or the Christmas party uh, event time of the year. I saw uh, uh, a number of high profile Homeland Security, the White House, uh, Dave Ramsey, all. Uh, all people that don't believe in masking and and social distancing and all that um, have had already or are going to have uh, hundreds of people in uh, various Christmas parties uh, in their organization. Some of those have already happened, so we should see some surges from that. But how many days have we been home? Uh, so we have now been home for 276 days, which is insane <laughs> yeah given the vaccine news and, and there is a lot of good news coming with vaccines and how they're going to apply them but it appears maybe we didn't um buy enough and so uh just this week they said most americans won't be vaccinated until late spring early summer mm-hmm. summer starts in late june yep so uh so Probably May to July or August. Maybe we're probably looking at getting the job done through the through the the normal people like us. You know, they're going right. to continue to go with the people that are most vulnerable and things like that, as they should. The first responders, the people in the healthcare uh, uh, service, providing uh, people in law enforcement, fire. And things like that. So um, it sounds like we still have a ways to go. Yeah. And uh, I, I haven't looked in the past couple of days to know if we started to eclipse this yet or not. But I saw, I know we were creeping towards uh, over 3,000 deaths per day uh, within the country. And I saw a prediction that um, 
we would be within that range for a, like a 60 day time frame based yeah. on the, the trajectory, which um, the, the, the metric people like to throw out is that that is more than the number of people who died in nine on nine 11 per day for up 60 or more days. Yeah. And I read this morning that we're in our fourth day of, of numbers more than nine 11. Okay. Okay. So we are, we are already in there now. We're, we're, we're in there, but it, it sounded to me like it was going to be a while. It's not abating anytime soon. Yeah. Not at all. So, um, we, uh, we're drinking a couple of things today. The, uh, the first one from our friend, Sam, who brought that back uh, from uh, Strings Sports Brewing in Jacksonville, Florida? I visited there. I actually have a, a sticker on uh-huh. the uh, cooler wall, and I believe that your now defunct other podcast. I believe I had a sticker with me, and I believe you have a sticker. Oh, there. nice, nice. So, uh, so we're having their uh, Southpaw Guava Sour. Which uh, on Untapped showed about a, a 4.06 rating. Uh, it's not a 4.06 to me, but it's it's a really really good sour. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you there. Um, I don't know if I'd give it a rating quite that high, but it is a very solid beer, a good sour. Um, I I do tend to be pretty biased towards things featuring guava. <laughs> so uh, it, it was already kind of a win in my book. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Um, just maybe not as good as the untapped consensus happens to be. Yeah, for sure. And and like you, I like guava. Uh, we've had some really good milkshake IPA guavas from uh, Braxton in the past as well. Yeah. But uh, Strings is a cool place to hang out at. Um, good people. Um, met them, been there a couple of times and, uh, just, uh, real solid sort of community people. They give back. They started giving back early in, in the, uh, pandemic. And, uh, they also are sort of a foodie destination and the, their menu is pretty eclectic. They have specials all the time and they have some really, really good food. In fact, our friend Sam, Likes to taunt me periodically, and he'll send me a picture of both a really good beer, uh, usually a hazy IPA or something, and uh, one of their meals. And so uh, I, I respond as I should respond accordingly. But uh, they do some really good stuff. I don't. I don't. I, I find this hard to believe. I don't. I don't think I would. I would believe that Sam would would do that and taunt you in that way. Yeah, he's pretty bad about that. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, living vicariously through him, he does have to uh, to travel for his job uh, and, and manage our imp- uh, some implementation work and things like that. So uh, uh, kudos to him for finding the uh, the cool places. Um, our second beer is the Ethereal Grind the Rind, which doesn't have quite as glowing of a score on Untapped, but you and I really, really like it, and uh, it is a watermelon wheat. Yeah, so um, when you when you sent me the, I already forget the number I made up earlier, I think it was... 47 uh, so i'll stick with that um when you were sending me the 47 pictures of all of your beer uh and you started sending the close-ups of crowlers with the names on it um and i saw the uh the ethereal ones um that i think the first one was big juicy was that the is that the pear one 
I think it is. Yeah, so we had that one, which I I love that beer, but I'm like, I've had that one before. Uh, and then uh, this the, the photo following that was Grind the Rind, which I, I was unfamiliar with, but it had a fun name. So I looked it up online and I saw it was a watermelon wheat, and I thought, ooh, that has potential right there. So um, I'm, I'm glad we went with that one. It's a, it's a very subtle watermelon flavor, um, but really good, uh, kind of real smooth, easy to drink. I'm, I'm a fan of that one. Yeah, I was telling you a story uh, offline about uh, – um, a watermelon ale that I was really hyped for <laughs> that that turned out to be a dumpster fire, and so could have been a number of things. So I won't throw that that brewery under the bus. But uh, the Twenty First Amendment Brewery brewery at in San Francisco, um, they've had a watermelon beer for forever, and I've always enjoyed that. So when I when I don't know what to drink and that one's available, I always grab that one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's uh, it is interesting how um, and like you had said in the story, there there could have been a a million different factors. Um, it is just so interesting. I think when you have beers from different places that sound like they'd be really similar and they could not be more different. Yeah, um, which you know we we saw even with sort of the uh, uh, black is beautiful when we tried those. You know, it's more or less the same thing from everybody else and it was completely different across the board so yeah i'd like to get a couple more of those from from some different breweries and and see what our experience is uh, with those because i know we really liked one and the other one was just kind of yeah yeah i think it was the uh was it the street side one that we really liked i think and then the other was like the mirror twin ethereal collaboration okay yeah yeah and i didn't think the mirror twin ethereal one was nearly as good as the street side yeah that was that was my thought as well you know i need to pay more attention to to street side i i've been venturing out less and less lately just because of um you know covid getting worse and worse um braxton's kind of my staple but um, i'm not very far from street side um i should pay more attention to what they have going on um i know it's a a complete and utter dumpster fire right now getting um north of the river given that the uh the the brent spence bridge um had a horrible fire that really damaged it uh several weeks ago and has been closed but um i think sort of the uh, the the back way that i know of is now um reopened to normal traffic uh, it got closed for a while because the bridge involved uh, was not rated for large trucks which were going across it so they closed and had it big entirely. signs that said so yet the big trucks just continue to go across yeah it. i think it's uh, it's like an 11 ton limit on the bridge which a single truck uh, eclipses that <laughs> and they they ignored it and that bridge was shut down for for quite a while um as a result of that but i, I think it's pretty uh, it's it's almost the same amount of time now for me to get to most places in cincinnati uh, with that being open again so maybe we should we should try hard to uh, get it to go order uh, and um, and and do a street side beer episode, whatever other topic. But uh, I, I always have enjoyed hanging out there. Obviously, we're not going to hang out there for the foreseeable future. But um, good, they seem like good people. I've always had good beers, except the the one that you all had that I didn't have that I'm not going to have. Um, the the worst the worst yeah yes. the, the worst um for I don't remember if we've talked about it on the podcast or not but the worst is uh, it's it's spelled worst W U R S T uh, because it is a sausage beer 
and um, it literally tastes like liquid sausage. Um, it's it's interesting. It's the kind of beer that you have no idea who on earth ever orders a pint of that. Um, but I sampled it like four times in one sitting um, at Streetside. Uh, I went there with our coworker Mitch. And every single time a different bartender came by who had not given me a sample of it already, Mitch or I would ask for a sample just to try it again. And we're like, that is, that is weird. Um, yeah. So I, I had a, uh, I had a smoked sausage, uh, uh, beer at Listerman, another place I really like. And, uh, I don't know. It's probably been two years ago and I still think I'm tasting it now. It, it was, it was bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't know. I I feel like the worst wasn't. Uh, I wouldn't call it bad. I feel like with what they were going for, it was well executed. I just don't know who orders that. Like, what's the market for sausage beer? I I have no idea. Yeah, but, uh, and, <laughs> and, and and maybe if if I if I wasn't so traumatized, maybe I could come to that conclusion about the Listerman one. But um, uh, it it was just. It, it, I've, I've tasted it for I, I've, I truly believe days and days afterwards. It was it, it ruined the day. I had it there, so there was a uh, a celebration of women and working, and there was a, uh, a Rosie Riveter uh, beer that they rolled out that day, and so uh, Jenny was my designated driver, oh, and we cool. went up there and we we hung out and she had a couple of uh uh teas they had they had uh non-alcoholic teas that they had bottled for for the occasion as well that had some level of rosie the riveter sort of uh on there and themed and uh it was a really fun day but that beer ruined it for me i mean it was it was just <laughs> i don't know we're we're an hour and 10 15 minutes to home from there, and and I'm positive I complained the whole. Time. <laughs> I am positive. I'm trying to remember. I've I've been there once. Is Listerman the one that's real close to uh, Xavier's campus? Yeah, it's like real near where that basketball game you went. Yeah, to. yeah, the one college basketball game I've been to in my entire life. Yeah, yeah. So I started going there years ago um, to buy beer making supplies, mm-hmm. and they would occasionally have a beer on tap or two beers on tap. And then suddenly it became three or four beers on tap. And I don't have any idea if they still sell uh, beer making supplies. I'm guessing they probably do, but it is mostly a, a brewery and they have a ton of stuff and they're, they're porters, they're darker style beers. I, I, people would probably argue with me that go there more than I do that they, they are well-rounded, but their their porters and darker style style beers have always spoken to me. Just really good stuff. Yeah, I think I think we had talked about that um, a little bit before I planned to go there, and I think I mainly had stouts while we were there. Uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, uh, and that day we started drinking pretty early. It was like pretty early in the afternoon, so like, don't hold me to this. I believe there's now a. Um, uh, sort of like a second little building next to where the brewery and tap room is where you can buy beer making supplies from. It's a separate little thing separate. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, a cool place. So uh, we, we 
we need to figure out a way to maybe spread the love. Uh, we love Braxton. We love West Six, both Kentucky breweries. But uh, but there's a lot. Cincinnati is just a goldmine of uh, of uh, breweries. Of course, we we love Ethereal as well. So uh, we should we should try to do more as as the pandemic allows us to to be safe and and do some things outside. Yeah, and it's I mean it's uh, it's not far for me to get to most of those from where I'm at to pick things up and. Um, given that we're looking at probably at least another six months, if not more of, of what we've been doing, um, I think diversifying is going to be good for some of our sanity as well. So it's kind of a win-win. It would be nice on a non-windy day. I think we could do a recording at 50 West in their outside area, and it looked like they even had some fire pits. So um, we, we probably ought to look at that, and they have food too. Yeah, yeah, that's um, – and they've, also pretty close. Uh, they've yeah. got a ice skating rink now too. Oh, that's cool. Winter. That's I, super cool. I don't know if it's a full size one or a mini one or or what, but uh, we we should probably. I know we we individually have had several beers from there that we've mostly liked. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I've never spent really any time there. Yeah, I've. Um I've, I've had a lot of their beer, especially like canned beers uh, at the bar that was across the street from our former office Yeah, uh, when they would do like craft beer night, uh, you know, cans would be a couple bucks. Um, some of the 50 West ones were always really good. I've only been to the, the tap room one time um, and it was on one of those, um, it was on one of those holidays that's like, uh, it's a toss-up if, I don't remember which holiday it was, but it's a toss-up if places are open or closed or whatnot. Uh, the brewery was closed, but they've got those like two locations on either side of the street. And um, the the one that has the restaurant as well was still open. And uh, I sat there for, I don't know, probably like a couple of hours at least we were there. Um, it was super cool. The people were really nice. And um, actually one of the people working because um, I'm always on the, the hunt for new tattoos. Um, and I, I find that uh, beer tenders tend to have pretty good recommendations. They so do. anytime I see a beer tender who's uh, pretty inked up, I'll, I'll ask if they've got recommendations, especially because when I was there, I'd, I had just moved probably like a month or two before then. Um, so I'd asked her, hey, where did you uh, get your tattoos? You would recommend any places or any artists? And she actually had gotten... Uh, her most recent couple at uh, Mother's Tattoo, uh, which they've got a few locations, one of which is in Covington, also across the street from where our former office happens to be. Yep. So. Which I think is still vacant. Uh, oh, the office? The yeah. office, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mother's Tattoo actually moved uh, like just a few buildings down. Yep. They're right next to Gypsies now. Yeah. Um, I, I drove by and kind Bigger of... Bigger space. It looks yeah, like. and they've they've kind of cleaned it up in there. It's kind of like a real open studio kind of area, so it looks looks neat. Um, probably something I'll... There's, there's a few artists I've been uh, eyeing up their work there, so it's probably something I'll... I'll look into once uh, I feel more inclined to to go out and do things like yeah. that. But. So, how many minutes in? Uh, a bunch, uh, thirty-five. So uh, we haven't touched our topics whatsoever. So I think we'll uh, <laughs> we'll cut this one, and this will be a second craft brew geek episode. Oh, I like this. Yeah, that we'll put in and cross pollinate, and now we'll get to our topic at hand, which uh, we wanted to talk about. Uh, so we we both like to read. We read completely different ways. We do. 
Yeah. And uh, so we thought we would talk about kind of the way we read um, fiction type work and uh, what our favorite authors uh, either are recently or over the long haul. And and so uh, so John. I know that we we chuckled and we said no no let's not talk about it now let's talk about it on the podcast so it'll be a complete surprise to me what's what's the method to your madness in terms of how you read um I honestly I don't I don't really have um, I don't even know if I really have a method most of what I end up reading is stuff I happen to stumble across um, I do like a lot of authors, but I'm not a person who who really follows any authors. Um, I'm, I'm not the person who's ever like, ah, shit, this author's releasing a new book like next week. I'm so stoked. I can't wait. Like that's uh, that's not usually what I do. Um, like I would have had no idea that Attack Surface by Cory Doctorow was coming out if you all hadn't been talking about it. Um, so I, I mostly just kind of stumble across things that seem interesting um i've read a lot of works you know from i know a, a few of the books that i'll i'll call out um that i've i've gotten the show notes here um i i just kind of stumbled across from back in the day when you would go to like bookstores you know and just kind of roam around hey this one looks neat um plenty of authors i've found because of people i follow on the internet you know somebody's on vacation and they post a picture of themselves like poolside on Twitter, you know, and they're reading a book and I'm like, Oh, I've never heard of that author before. Let me look into that. Um, so that's really kind of my thing. And I'm, I'm pretty all over the place when it comes to genres that I read as well. I'm not really like too locked into anything in particular. Um, if it seems interesting, I'm, I'm pretty open to reading it. So, um, I'm, I'm a very, unfocused reader i would say i don't uh, i don't really kind of zero in on anything and there's there's not really a method to the madness it's just pure unadulterated chaos and i find that uh, I, I read a lot of books that you're like wow that was utter garbage because you know i i also don't research any of the books before i read them i'm just like hey that looks interesting let me read it um so some of them are pure trash but you also find really good books that way too that you would never um you would never stumble across, and I am 100% the person where once I start reading a book, uh, I can't just be like, this is garbage, and I'm going to stop reading it. Like, I have to finish the book. 95% of the time, that works out about as well as you would expect. It's just hours of agony as you slowly work your way through it. Uh, but there have been a handful of books that I was like, this is really not good. Uh, and then right at the end, they turn it all around with some kind of insane thing. And you're like, I'm so glad I stuck with this one. So. Yeah, and that's been my experience. So so books are like beer with me, <laughs> except for the worst. Um, I'm going to finish my beer and finish my book. And sometimes it's painful. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you get surprised with like, wow, the middle of the book just shifted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, – I didn't, I didn't call it out on here because I already had one sci-fi book, but um, there's a sci-fi author, Ian Banks, uh, who very sadly passed away a couple years ago to cancer. Um, 
wrote a, a, a long running series of, of science fiction novels, uh, most of which I really liked. Um, it was super cool, actually, when uh, when he knew he had terminal cancer, uh, the publisher actually worked very closely with him because he really wanted to get out the last book that he had been working on. Yeah. Um, so his publisher worked real closely with him to, to make that happen, which was cool. But um, one of his books, it was just, it felt all over the place. Um, it was called... The Use of Weapons, I believe, was the title. Um, and it was just like, it was, I thought it was terrible for the first four-fifths of the book, probably. I was just like, this is going nowhere. It just seems like disconnected, disjointed stories that don't really relate to each other. I don't understand it. But I like so much of his other stuff. Like, I'm going to stick with it. And just, they really turned it around at, like, the very end. And, like, literally clicked everything together that had seemed so disjointed before and it suddenly made sense and you're like oh my god that was brilliant um, that's the one i think of that i was super glad that i stuck with uh, plenty of others you you turn the last page and you're like oh thank god i'm done with this <laughs> yeah for sure so I, i'm i'm completely different we'll we'll dive into kind of some picks in the show notes but i uh for for non for for uh, i'm sorry for fiction books um I have a, I have a type, a number of types, but but I have those types. And then when I find an author and I find a character, I start to um, to like the characters and want to want to know more about the characters as they as they go through the various books and things. So um, I tend to watch for that next novel that's right. coming out and uh and and try to you know anticipate those and 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 I just really get consumed with with the characters and as we go through kind of some of the authors I'll I'll I mostly talk about the characters not the the authors because uh they have just created vivid images for me that make me want to get to the next book to find out what the next thing going on with the various characters are. That's uh, that's really interesting to me because um, yeah, like like you say, I'm I'm the exact opposite. Um, I I've definitely read many books that were you know uh, sort of in a series, and you got the same characters as you go from book to book. Um, I regularly dislike that. Uh, I, I feel like some of those. To me, they come across as samey, even if they aren't samey. I just kind of get bored with it a little bit. Um, so a lot of the authors who I've read many of their works, uh, the books might be set in uh, sort of the same universe, for lack of a better term, uh, where, you know, if it's a, a work of, of fiction, maybe it's, you know, as an example, a sci-fi work, it's the same universe things sort of behave the same between books, but they're distinct stories with completely separate characters. And that's often what I kind of look for. Yeah, I can see that. And, and there's some authors that I don't read anymore. Uh, won't throw them under the bus, but that are in the genres that I like that, like their character is almost the same character. Every book, they are just, do chasing a different bad guy yep. or solving a different mystery or things like that. And, um, so the ones I've picked, I think, um, 
they do a better job of developing their characters. Right, right. I, I do think that's really important um, to, to kind of make that distinction because um, I've definitely – I've read books that um, – I've, I'll also not name names to avoid throwing people under the bus, but uh, when, when I moved uh, about a year ago, I, I had three and a half shelves full of books. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to donate the overwhelming majority of these, um, like physical books, because um, I don't want to move them because they're a pain in the butt. And uh, it's pretty rare that I will reread the same book uh, multiple times. And uh, so I, I only kept the books that I really liked for some reason or another that were important to me. Uh, and I found a couple that were by an author I really liked when I was younger. Um, I started reading his work, I think, when I was in high school, uh, read more of his books throughout college. And I, I loved them. I thought they, they were all fantastic. And it was a humongous long series um, that was... Um, the, the same characters and I, I really liked those characters and I had I think it was a I bought the last series um, that he had released while I was still kind of interested in him and then never read it and so I was like well I'm not going to get rid of these four books that I never read I used to love this author they're easy reads you can kill them in like two days if you're you're not really doing too much else um, so I was like I'll, I'll, I'll read them eventually and um I've been very slowly working my way through them as I read other books. And it's exactly what you describe. Um, there's, there's really no character development. It's, you know, we're, we're palette swapping the bad guy that they're chasing. And it's, it's literally the same story. It's just a slightly different place. The, the protagonist is slightly different, but it's, it's really the same story every single time. Yeah, and I hate I hate those 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 happen in books, and so I I'll, I'll quickly drop those authors, and and maybe later in later books they they become more aware of what mm -hmm. they've done or their publisher talks to them, but I generally don't go back when when yep. when you when you're just kind of story swapping, I. I tend not to go back. Yeah, I'm like, uh, there's there's so many. It's it's kind of the same methodology as why we, uh, neither you or I have any interest these days in creating our own beer because there's so much good beer out there that we don't need to make our own. Yeah, uh, for there, sure. There's so many good books out there that if I've read something by someone and it kind of falls into that trope and so I'm disinterested in it, I'm like, why would I take the risk again? Because there's so many other books I could read that, I'm I'm not immediately feeling like I'm kind of walking into that. Yeah. So um, one more difference, similarity, and difference in us before we dive into the authors we like. So, like you, one of my favorite things to do is has always been to hang out in bookstores. I, I remember vividly um, finding a couple of authors that that I read. They are uh, nonfiction authors, but that uh, I read. There's stuff to this day. Not everything is great, but uh, I stumbled across in a Seattle bookstore and uh, John Crocker, and I, I, st I stumbled across Into the Wild, and um, it was a terrific story. Um, became a really good movie, which is unusual for a book right. to become a good movie. Uh, Sean Penn did a really good job with with making sure it stayed true to the the soul of the story. And um, so I've really followed John uh, since then. A couple of his books haven't been 
fascinating for me, but uh, I do think he's uh, he's a great storyteller, and so um, so those are kind of a similarity. But now, I know we were at a bookstore together in uh, Los Angeles, yeah. the last bookstore, the la- a super cool place. Yeah, super cool place, and and I'm ashamed to say, but uh, I got book ideas, but I I didn't buy the books because. I wanted to listen to them. Mm-hmm. So so if there's an option for me to listen to a book, I would rather listen to a book than have the Audible version or the Dead Tree version. So um, I do still buy books. There is a, a bookstore in Key West owned by uh, Judy Bloom, And so uh, uh, interesting author in, in and of herself. And so I always try to, every time I go in there, it's a very small bookstore, I buy something. Mm-hmm. And, and so I do try to do that, but, but my first choice is to listen to a book. My second choice is a, uh, a Kindle book, and then uh, I will go with the Dead Tree version if, if I can't do anything else. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm basically the exact opposite, so I've... I've never in my life completed an audiobook. Um, I, I've tried a couple of times because I do know many people who really enjoy them. Um, I just, I don't like it. Um, I, I feel like I'm way more, um, if, I, if I listen to an audiobook, I, uh, my mind wanders a lot to begin with. So it's very easy for it to just go off into outer space and whatever the hell I'm thinking about. Um, and then I realize like, and this happens to me all the time. It's why, um, it's, it's difficult for me to watch like uh, television shows because I'll think about something random um, and like my mind goes down a rabbit hole and then I'm like, ah, shit, 15 minutes went by. I have no idea what happened. Um, movies, I love movies because like I can lock in for like two hours and watch a movie. Um, I, it's, it's hard to do that for like a, a, a 12 episode show that they're each an hour. I'm like, oh, it's just too much. I can't do it. Uh, so that happens to me with audiobooks. Uh, I, I immerse myself if I'm, if I'm physically reading it. Um, I greatly prefer the dead tree version of books to digital books. That being said, I almost exclusively buy digital books now just because dead tree books take up so much fucking space yeah. and it kills me. And, uh, I, I, I never want to move again and have like four boxes of books. It's just, I can't do it. So, um, I'd rather do digital, um, buy them from a few areas. Although, uh, lately what I've gotten into a lot, especially since we've been stuck at home so much of the time now, um, is I've just been using, uh, Libby and, uh, renting books from the local library. So that's my first take. Um, if I really want to read something, I'll check if the library has it on lend, um, first. And then usually if either they don't have it available, um, or if they, um, or if it's an author who I'm like, I really, really want to like support this author with some money, uh, then I'll, I'll usually go to one of the various avenues and, and buy the, the ebook for it. Cool. Cool. What, um, so, um, you've got a list of, of kind of some authors you've liked. You and I are a little different, but maybe dive into your authors and in their books or any other books they've read, and then and then I'll do mine. Yeah, so um, I I, I kind of just cherry picked. Uh, like I said, I don't typically uh, I don't typically follow any any authors and and regularly like get jazzed up about what they're doing. Um, 
So I just kind of looked back at, at what I've read and sort of what kind of stood out to me that especially for this discussion, um, either the book had some kind of unique significance or the author had something really cool about them or both. Um, so the uh, the first one on my list, uh, this is the only nonfiction author I included, uh, is Gabriella Coleman. Uh, she's a super cool person. I followed her on Twitter for years and years and years now. Um, so she is a professor at uh, McGill University, which I believe is in Quebec. Um, it's it's in the city of Montreal. Yeah, it's Quebec. Um, so she is a cultural anthropologist, but she has a focus on uh, hackers and activism. And so back in the mid, I guess like early 2010s, when Anonymous first kind of uh, came to the forefront of hacktivism and LulzSec kind of came out of that as well, um, she was deeply involved in following both of those movements uh, to the point where she was in like their IRC servers following their conversations and whatnot, um, had a a personal connection to a few of uh, the hackers involved with LulzSec who would like literally call her from like burner phones to talk to her as like law enforcement's bearing down on them. Uh, and so she published a book, Hacker, Hoaxer, Whistleblower, Spy, um, that kind of documents all of that. So kind of the birth of those movements, why they came about, and then uh, sort of her personal insight into those that she was able to gain by having such a close connection to some of those people, which was just a really, I thought it was a fascinating read, um, especially as someone who also was was pretty closely following a lot of that activity as it was happening um, to see that like next level closer was really cool from her. I'd, I think uh, a good episode for us would be to, to go over books in this genre. So, so like you um, I've read a ton of, of activist books and I think I have read every decent mainstream book on the CIA and NSA and mm-hmm. and those programs. And I think that would be a a good future episode. And and we could talk about I, I sat through so I could get some continuing education credits. I sat through <laughs> a uh, a a national podcast on uh on open source anonymizing tools last week so that I could get an hour of, of credit. And, and most of it was along the lines of, um, if you use Tor, then the government's going to target you and they're going to come knock on your door. And, and, uh, I thought that was interesting for any number of reasons that you and I could, could dive down a rabbit hole <laughs> on. So let's not do that today or, or I'll, I'll go off the, the deep end. But, uh, but yeah, I think that would be a good, a, a good uh, segue at some point for another episode. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I can immediately think of like four or five other books that would be oh, really, yeah. really relevant for that discussion as well. Um, another author I had included was uh, William Gibson. So uh, another Canadian, I believe he's in British Columbia, though I don't recall for sure. Um, He's, he's one. I've read a lot of his early books that he wrote in like the 80s. Um, he's still an active author. I, I haven't been as drawn to uh, his more recent work, so I haven't read too much of that. Uh, also a super cool guy, um, really kind of down to earth, um, posts a lot of good stuff on Twitter, uh, follows 
politics very actively and discusses a lot of that, um, which is part of the reason why I like him because you and I um, would agree with basically everything that he thinks, which is cool. Uh, but the book... Everything he thinks, yes, yes. we would agree. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the book I included here, uh, this was one that uh, it was literally me walking around a bookstore when I was in probably high school, uh, and I stumbled across it, and I thought the, the title sounded neat, uh, but was Neuromancer. And so Neuromancer is sort of a, it's a science fiction book, but it's it's widely considered to be, one, the first cyberpunk novel. So that's sort of um, near future dystopian high tech uh, world. Um, and it was really groundbreaking because the book included so many concepts that are part of our normal life today that didn't exist when he created the book. Yes. Um, so he, he had this whole concept of, you know, what we would think of as the internet, but the internet didn't exist when he wrote it, uh, which was really cool. Um, the term cyberspace was actually coined by him in that novel. It didn't exist before that time, uh, which was also really neat. So um, it's, it's a really terrific book. Um, I've, it's one of the few that I've read probably three times now. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting to look at sort of that, the, the birth of cyberpunk and, and sort of um, him creating the idea of the internet and hacking and that sort of thing before any of that was real uh, was, was really interesting to work through. So I didn't read Neuromancer when it came out, but I read Spook Country. Oh, yep. And that made me go back and read uh, neuromancer so um yeah he's he's a real interesting guy i've seen him speak uh a number of times online and uh a compelling a, a compelling dude for sure yeah yeah he's uh he's a super cool guy uh he's, he's the kind of guy i would like to hang out with <laughs> you know it's it's amazing uh a number of the people that like this that that you'd like to, uh, uh, and and I've got some when I go over my books that you'd like to have a beer with or dinner with, and and just soak in who they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, another one I included. I, I only had uh, I only had two more just because I I'm, I'm so all over the place. But um, Alastair Reynolds, uh, he's a science fiction author, and, and he's the one I was actually thinking of when um, uh, somebody I followed on Twitter had posted a picture of like themselves on vacation, and they were literally sitting at this like resort reading a book, and it was a, a work by Alastair Reynolds. Uh, he's, a, he's a science fiction author, but why I find him and his work so interesting um, is that He's he's a full-time author now, but when he started writing, uh, he was an astro... I believe he's from the Netherlands. I could be wrong, though, so don't hold me to that. Uh, but he was an astrophysicist for the European Space Agency. And so he writes science fiction, but his work is kind of grounded in, in the reality of astrophysics. And so... Um, the, the very first sci-fi book uh, that he wrote that I, I, I read was called Revelation Space. And it's, it's really interesting because it's, um, it's, it's this, the, the writing style is sort of split between two different perspectives. There's a, a main character on a planet and there's a main character who's on a spaceship. And 
they, they come across like two separate stories until they kind of converge at the end. But what's really interesting is that uh, in, in sort of the, the uh, diegesis that he has created, the, the, the people who are on planets are sort of like um, sort of off on their own because travel is still bounded by the laws of physics. So the best that people can achieve in, in the, the universe he's created is traveling just below the speed of light, which still means that if you're going to go between planets, it takes forever. Uh, but what's really interesting in that story is that um, he starts to factor in the effects that astrophysicists think would happen if you spent a lot of time traveling just below the speed of light, which is that your perception of time and how time affects you is different. And so the book kind of starts um, at the same time, but by the end, when the plot lines converge, the person who is on a planet um, has had like 60 years of their life go by. And the person who's been flying around, they're basically the same age as the start of the book because they've spent so much of that time traveling just below the speed of light as they had. So um, from an overall storytelling perspective, I wouldn't say it was like the greatest book I've ever read, uh, but just his background and how he applies that to his writing uh, makes a lot of what his a lot of his work really interesting to me. And I think it. I, th I think you were right. The the Netherlands, uh, as I was going through some of the the show notes, uh, I clicked out, and I think that was right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where he's from. Uh, and then the last one I had. Um, this was this was one of those um, times when I feel really good about my literary tastes um, because I I read a book for fun. And then uh, in a college class, we read the same book because it was so noteworthy. So I'm like, sweet, I'm, I'm obviously uh, an enlightened individual. Um, but the book is uh, House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski. Um, the, the class, so I, I read this, um, I guess, early in college. And then it was during my senior year, I, I had a class where we, we read the book for that class as well. The class was called uh, Narrative and Technology, and it was all about how technology changes the ability for people to tell stories. And the book was really noteworthy because it's, it's almost like two books in one. And the reason why it was noteworthy for the class was because it would be almost impossible to create a work like this without like a computer with a word processor like you would not physically be able to create this book with like a typewriter and a printing press that sort of thing um so it's centrally the book is sort of about a um almost like a docu it's it's somebody writing about a made-up documentary video about sort of this anomaly that occurs within somebody's house that sort of opens up this really weird, like endless labyrinth um, within their home. And so there's there's allegedly this video documentary of, of the, the guy who owns the house exploring this labyrinth and like delving down into its depths and trying to understand it. The story of Above that is that this write-up of the documentary is being 
annotated by somebody else. And so every single page has footnotes on it that are like this person's thoughts about what they're reading. And then it's sort of sidebars into their own life. It's extremely weird. and it's that's, di- that's strange for it, fiction, it's, for sure. And it's difficult to even understand, but like if, if you just were to open like a physical copy of the book and flip through it, you'd be like, what in the actual fuck is going on? Um, you, you'll, you'll hit footnotes that are like four pages long before it then like goes back to the main text. I, I thought it was a really fascinating story. Um, I thought he did amazingly well with it and it was really interesting to read and it's one of the ones I've, I've run into this situation a few times before where I had read a book before and then uh, when I had a class they would use the same book and I'm like oh sweet I don't need to I don't need to reread the book because I've already read it like that's fine when this one came about I very willingly reread it because it was just so interesting um, so but but again, just sort of trying to lay all of that out, aside from the insanity of telling two different stories that are about a documentary that doesn't exist, um, just the idea that you wouldn't even be able to tell a story like this if everybody on the planet didn't have you know a computer that can do word processing to the point where you're able to kind of accomplish that sort of thing to then give to a publisher and be like this it needs to look like this Uh, that was really interesting so it sounds like the formatting matters to the story for sure it's 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 critical to the story yeah yeah, the way they did it and um, there are even pages where it's like um, without spoiling anything the person who is annotating the text about the documentary is basically going insane and the formatting of the text starts to like mirror their like downward spiral as they go um, to the point where you have some pages that are just like it's text everywhere and it makes no sense and it's like angled and it's all over the place. It, the physical layout of the book is a part of the story and that's actually why the book has its title House of Leaves is talking about the physical book. The leaves are the pages. The house is the book itself. So uh, really, really interesting stuff. So, so what is, what is interesting is um, we do have completely different approaches to how we choose what we read. And that'll be obvious when I go into mine. However, we both read diversely as well. So this is not, this is not all we read. This mm-hmm. is just kind of a sampling. Yep. So, I've read the first two books that that you had on your list, and we didn't talk about these. There, there was zero collaboration or, or um, yeah, planning on that. Yeah, I put Revelation Space on my my uh, list to read later, and I'm probably not going to read House of Leaves. <laughs> it's uh, it sounds interesting, but it doesn't sound like a book that I would read and enjoy. Oh, for sure, for sure, and. Um, it's one of those books, um, it could have really gone either way. Uh, so Mark Danielewski has written a few other novels that um, he's always, he was always trying to explore that space with like using the medium of the book as a means to tell the story and impact the story. Um, and the other works he has done that failed miserably and it turned into just like a gimmick that seemed dumb. (laughs) And I could have very easily seen House of Leaves going the same way, but he pulled it off. So 
um, it's I guess it's it's a it's a risk reward situation for that for sure um, that it, it worked out well for that one. Yeah, and I guess the cool thing is these authors um, they stay true to themselves, I guess, and and so while you and I may not agree or something, the follow-on books or the previous books appeal to us. Um, they have something in their head that's driving them um, for the future episode. Mm-hmm. There's a dude that uh, he's he he wrote a book about the CIA, the NSA, the Secret Service, and the FBI, and I read all of them. And he would just he told the story about those agencies in a way that that was compelling to me, and and I wanted. I wanted him to go pick a different agency. I now want him to go pick Homeland Security. Right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if he's still alive. Even uh, I'll have to do some research. But I want him to go pick Homeland Security right. now, and I want him to get sources, and I want him to tell us how that agency work has worked over time since it's it's been in place. And and like you were saying about Mark, it's it's them finding their way. There's this other guy, uh, Rob Reed. Rob. Uh, uh, I don't. I can't call the the book name off the top of my head. But he wrote a book, and it was really, really good. And then he wrote another book, and it was was not so good. Right. And uh, but he's a super interesting guy. He's done some TED talks, um, and uh, he's connected in the Silicon Valley. But the books he's written are are fiction books and things. So uh, uh, really cool stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, unlike you, while I do read diversely, I, if an author has a series of characters, I dive in and I just keep going. And I, and I think that started with my first favorite author, Robert B. Parker. And so, he was a uh, a college professor, I believe, something in in the English uh, realm, and he was an older guy, older being mid thirties, when he uh, he just thought academia sucked, and uh, <laughs> he had been writing, and so he he just quit his job and and became an author, mm-hmm. and so his his first book. Um, was the the Godwolf manuscript, and so he has a series of characters, and and I don't remember exactly the year, but I know that it was at uh, a books a, a, a local bookstore. So it was at Joseph Beth, or could have been a local bookstore in in Seattle. Could have been uh, what is it, the Tattered Cover in Denver? Could have been any of those places. Could have been a bookstore in D.C. But I stumbled across. Uh, I always have liked mystery novels, mm-hmm. but I have a specific. I like um, I like mystery novels generally that that have some uh, humility in the characters, and it's not just it's not true crime. I'm, I'm right. generally not a true crime person unless um, unless their characters are are well. To find, I didn't put this on here, but there is an author, Michael Conley, and he's written a series of books based on uh, Los Angeles police detective Harry Bosch, and those are more true crime, and I do like those. Uh, honestly, I haven't kept up on reading those mm-hmm. because they are more the true crime, but he really verbosely um, 
builds out his characters and 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 now on Amazon Prime streaming there's actually a series called Bosch yep. that is just some of the best writing of any series and best acting that I maybe I've seen in my lifetime. Just just really good stuff and the author is involved. Yep, but that always helps. You know? Yeah, so so he has creative control over it and it's just fascinating. But but Robert B Parker developed this uh this detective Spencer and he has this mysterious sidekick, um, Hawk. And and we don't really know Hawk's background, but we we know he's some sort of thug. We know he's maybe involved in organized crime, maybe not. Maybe he's involved in the CIA, maybe not. Um, but he um everybody is scared of him. He uh, dresses to the nines. He drives expensive cars. He has money, and uh, and and he is a great sidekick to uh, the Spencer, um, who who has vulnerabilities and things like that. So, so there are uh, a metric shit ton of of these novels out there, and and I've read every one of them, and and so, um, in my house. There is a a monthly uh, conversation that goes on about who gets the audible credits, <laughs> and uh, and it's 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 sometimes an uncomfortable conversation, uh, and so uh, the the December ones just renewed, and and so I told Jenny, you should grab two books this month, and you should enjoy them, <laughs> and you should savor them, and you should listen to them slowly. And she looks at me. I'm like, you're not getting any of them in in January because <laughs> two of the people on the list here have books coming out. You got dibs. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so um, the the Spencer for Hire uh, uh, TV show was based on these books, and later there have been uh, one off uh, Spencer for Hire uh, movies. The TV show at times was decent. Um, at times the movies were decent, and and now there's a uh, um, uh, Mark, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? The five guys, Donnie and, and Mark, uh, Wahlberg. Oh yeah. And so, uh, Mark is now Spencer and there was a 2020 movie that went straight to Netflix that came out that, uh, has Spencer and Hawk in it. And I think it's maybe the early days of, um, when Spencer gets kicked out of the, the police force. But, uh, uh, wasn't really good, but the books are compelling. Robert B. Parker then um, um, finished a book that Raymond Chandler. So Raymond Chandler wrote uh, back. Uh, he was born in the 1800s, and he wrote in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And uh, he he had the Philip Marlowe uh, character. And so there were lots of... Uh, of uh, t- of movies and and things like that, some of the the big novels were Farewell, My Lovely, Little Sister, The Long Goodbye, and so uh, Robert B. Parker reached out to the estate of Raymond Chandler and said, um, "I heard that there's a book that wasn't finished. Could I could I finish it?" Mm-hmm. 
and after some some negotiation, they finished it, and it was called Poodle Springs, and it had both authors on it, and it was really good. So I, then I went back and read Chandler. Chandler probably developed his characters very well, but but I didn't ever feel like Philip Marlowe had the humility that some of the Parker characters had. And then Parker uh, wrote a sequel to uh, his Big Sleep uh, novel called Perchance to Dream. I enjoyed that because Parker wrote it, um, but he didn't he didn't make the characters much more dynamic than Chandler had. So he, he kept them true, which is what he should have done. Uh, right. But then he rolled out uh, Jesse Stone novels as a new character. And so Jesse Stone is a um, – is a former Los Angeles police detective that got fired because he was a drunk. And the only place he can get a job is this small down town in Paradise, Massachusetts. And everybody knows he was a drunk. And, uh, and so that's a lot of the, the story throughout the series. And then at some point, um, uh, Parker and the Parker later, the Parker estate, um, had some movies come out and Tom Selleck plays uh, Jesse Stone. And, and so every new Jesse Stone book that comes out, uh, I see Tom Selleck when I read or listen to the book. The Robert B. Parker, the that was Robert Urich, who, who died of a rare cancer many, many years ago. But I see him for every – in 2021, when the Spencer book comes out, mm-hmm. I see Robert Parker and I see Avery Brooks, who – Avery Brooks as an actor, super cool dude. Um, I got to actually meet him briefly. He did a, uh, uh, a one-man show in Louisville at the Louisville Palace uh, a number of years ago, and uh, and we'll talk about that maybe on, uh, on another episode, but uh, really cool. And so, and so then he went on and developed a female detective, Sonny Randall. And so she's kind of, uh, she was married to the son of a guy who's a mobster, but the son is not a mobster. And so far, and I don't know how many books there are, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, it's not, there's never been an inference that her ex-husband is really part of the family business. He does his own thing, but but interesting dynamics there. And then at some point before Parker died, so Parker died of a massive heart attack while he was writing. Uh, at some point, he started tying the the three characters together subtly in different novels. And so so now the estate has gotten uh, authors, well known authors. To, to continue the series. So Ace Atkins uh, does the Spencer novels now and uh, a, a really interesting uh, guy. He, he, on his own, uh, Ace Atkins has uh, a number of, uh, of big uh, mystery novels, so he's kind of got a name in and of himself. And then they hired a couple of different people, and and so suddenly they've settled on, and I don't know the backstory, but Mike Lupica, uh, who is also a sports writer and who wrote fiction books that I read many years ago, is now writing both the Jesse Stone novels and the Sonny Randall novels. So anytime any of those come out, I'm all in. <laughs> so, so you're the person who knows, like, this book is going to release on, like, this day, and we're 
we're geared up for that. It's it's already in on Audible and on Amazon, so I don't miss it. It's in a list. I'll get a notification. Um, I know that it's coming out next month. I've already told Jenny, no, you don't, you don't get any credits in January. So what's uh, what's really interesting to me about this is it it sounds pretty clear that the whatever the the actual like. Um, I, I, I'm forgetting my literary terms, but well, whatever the struggle of the novel is, like that's not the important part of it for you. Whatever mystery they're investigating, whatever crime is happening, whatever's going on, like that's not the important part. It's that sort of character development. That's the important part of the novel. It, it is, and in fact, um, all of these are that same way, but but to not make this longer than it needs to be. So the Spencer novels... Spencer has to engage with um, bad people mm-hmm. to help him at times. And so there are people like Gino Fish and other characters, and and we see those throughout all of the books. Not every character is in every book. Sometimes a bunch of them are. And, and it's the personal relationships. It's the give and take of good versus evil. It is the... Um, subliminal discussion about uh, one bad will s- um, so having having a relationship and doing something with a bad guy will allow me to create a good situation for um, some other human beings and, and so so yeah and then his girlfriend is a psychiatrist and so there's there's a lot of ongoing commentary between them and and she even gets involved about sort of what I would call profiling mm-hmm. um, criminals. Okay, that's that's super cool. Yeah, and that that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't. I've I've not read a lot of what I would classify as as either mystery or true crime. The one exception to that was I did read. Um, the novels by Stieg Larsson, the Swedish author. I uh, wrote The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. There yep. were, um, was it The Girl Who Played with Fire and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest? It was that, that trilogy uh, before he died. And uh, I believe those were classified as true crime, and I can see that. Um, I loved, absolutely loved the novels. Um, but I don't think, uh, to kind of circle it back, I wouldn't have enjoyed them nearly as much if the main character of of Elizabeth Salander was not such a compelling character. Yep. And if her development wasn't as good, if it was like throw a generic character in there, but then have the same mystery happen that needs to be unraveled, you know, that, that would have been like Resident Sleeper for me. I would probably not have... Well, because of what we talked about earlier, I would have finished the books, but it would have been a slog as yep. opposed to... I read the first book and then the second book. And then once the third book was translated to English, I read the first one and the second one again and then read the third. Um, that, that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for that development. Yeah. And so I have all those in audio and, and have listened to those mm-hmm. and, and, and done that. And, and that's the, the Spencer and the Jesse Stone and the Sonny. I will say Spencer, because he's old, it's, it's an older series, is more well developed. But I do think. Um, that the authors that have taken over after um, Parker died on the Jesse Stone and the uh, Sonny Randall have done a really good job of of maybe uh, helping develop them a little more than maybe Parker had 
had done. I always enjoyed with Spencer the uh, the dynamics with uh, um, people that were truly, truly bad people that were killers, and yet he would work with them. But at the end of the day, he always did what's right, and they always knew that he was going to do what's right, and they had conversations about that, and he would protect them to the extent that he could, mm-hmm. but not completely. And 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 so I just I've always enjoyed that. And so anytime any of those come out, I just finished um, both a uh, Jesse Stone and a uh, Sonny Randall book. They were great. Both of them had some crossover stuff in it. Oh, that's cool. Really cool. <laughs> so the the Jesse Stone one, uh, he and uh, he and Sonny are hooking up, son. son <laughs> in this uh, latest book, but but it ends with them uh, maybe thinking it's not working because it worked better when Jesse was drinking and he's now going to AA. Uh. <laughs> so so um, I just really like how the characters are are developed, and then um, the next author I put in is uh, uh, Tim Dorsey. This is completely different. So so this is two primary characters. Serge Storms is is the main uh, character. And, and Serge is a mentally disturbed vigilante anti-hero. I would call him a serial killer who kills bad people, not uh, not good people, and so um, uh, he has his side. So Serge is also a historian. So Tim Dorsey wrote for a newspaper, and so when you read these novels, they're actually nonfiction works about Florida. So. <laughs> It would be Florida, wouldn't it? Yeah. Florida man. Yeah. So, well, and there's there are any number of Florida man and Florida woman instances in all the books <laughs> that aren't called out that way, right, but, but they are exactly we that. We all know. <laughs> but Dorsey does such a good job of, uh, and I've read a number of, of interviews where he he's just, he's a Florida guy. And so as they go across the state or in a city, uh, he explores state parks and national parks. He inst- he uh, explores communities, and it's all accurate. So when when you're listening to or reading the Surge Storm books, he's painting you a picture of exactly what's going on in that area of Florida, and it's all nonfiction sort of stuff with fictional characters. And then Surge, what Surge does is. Uh, uh, this is an example in one of the books, and I don't remember which book, but uh, he was waiting in line to uh, get money out of an ATM. Seems like it was in the Tampa area. And uh, this dude uh, shoved the woman who had her money, knocked her to the ground, maybe even took some of her money, and then put his card in and got that and got his money out. And Serge tried to have a conversation with him, and he, he was a bad dude, so he came after Serge. And so what Serge does, he subdued him, and they always end up in his trunk. And then there's some fascinating way in which ultimately they die. But but they die in a way. Serge always gives you a chance to get out. So I remember one was was like in the Everglades. And so this guy was in a human-sized cooler, and he was iced down. 
and you know it was a hundred and something degrees and there were other things going on with it and he's like if you can get yourself untied and out of this and the ice doesn't completely melt so that then the uh, alligators start smelling you or the crocodiles one or the other and they eat you alive and um, and so you never you never see the end of that and then like the next chapter will be some level of law enforcement saying what the fuck <laughs> and and so there'll be an empty cooler and an alligator or crocodile that's full of a human being and and there'll be all these things that they tied him up with. And, and so you never get the – they Dorsey leaves you enough to paint the picture in your head how you want to paint it on both sides of the equation, and it's just hilarious. But the other part of it is uh, – so Serge is a straight egg. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't take drugs. And uh, he's he's got a lot of hyperactivity. Um, I'd say he's probably ADHD as well. And so uh, his sidekick, his best friend, is Coleman, who's a stoner, drug-taking drunk, <laughs> who um, who just is always fucked up. <laughs> and there are all these stories within a story as they go on. And and the books are just hilarious. They're entertaining. Um, you got a guy killing people and you don't feel – remorseful for any of the people right, that die right. and you don't also feel traumatized by it it's actually entertainment and uh, and then there are some recurring characters along the way not every one of these books has hit a home run with me but but there's enough really good ones that I want to I want to listen every time and so there's another one coming out this month and and one of the other things he does is Dorsey has all that true stuff in it. So so you talked about earlier um, some of the things in Neuromancer that didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. So Dorsey has some of the things that actually exist, but before they people really knew they existed. So so there was a uh, there was a, a book, and I can't remember which one it was, but uh, there was a police guy who turns out, hate to ruin it for everybody, but it turns out it's Serge's half-brother, but this police guy has been chasing Serge for years as a police officer all across Florida and never caught him. And and so he retires and goes into private work and because he knows he and Serge are half-brothers. And But it's it's about big data. And so so a lot of the story is this big data story about – how Serge will call his half brother and say, "Hey, can you can you help me out with this?" And the story will will go on about how gangsters show up at hotel rooms because they've got access to the big data, or or they've compromised somebody that has access to the big data, and so they can see that when you swiped your credit card, you're at the hotel, right. and and all that. So. So he always does this relevant stuff. He did one, I believe this one was Trigger Fish Lane, which he talked about management consulting companies, how they come in and they figure out who the real big dog is and what they actually want to come be the outcome. 
and then they come in and lay everybody, they make a plan and recommend laying all these people off and implementing the the plan that the big cheese, whoever they needed to align themselves with, wanted, and they don't actually do any work at all. And and that's been my experience right. with all of those type <laughs> companies that have ever come in and done business process reengineering and, and all those buzzwords. And so um, so it's 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 real Florida information, real world information baked into a uh, uh, um, serial killer that has attention problems and who is a benevolent killer. I've uh, so so while you're talking about this, I, I had to look up um, the the publication date for for the first novel, Florida Roadkill. Because as you were describing this, set in Florida, serial killer who's got like some some inside track um, with um, you know law enforcement who's who's got some some insight into there who um, kills only people who are considered to be bad people, relatively speaking. Um, and, and the first thing that pops into my mind was uh, the the Dexter series, and so I was comparing the two because uh, I, I first experienced Dexter as the television show that I believe was on Showtime. Um, it was syndicated in Netflix, which is is how I watched it. Um, the first three seasons were insanely good. That third one with um, John Lithgow was just fantastic very well done uh so i I circled back after i had learned that the series was actually based upon some books and so i i started looking into the books which were written i almost hate obviously anyone can look it up so i'll say it anyway even though i'm going to say negative things about it um so the books were written by jeff Lindsay, um and it you know at a very surface level it's it's very similar you know dexter works for uh, the the Miami Police Department and, and whatnot. Um, it was one of the few instances where I'm like, at least again, the first three seasons. I think they did a fourth and a fifth season that were absolute trash. Uh, but at least the first three seasons of the show were really good, and the book was just it was awful. Like the writing was bad, um, and more to the point, the character of Dexter was so bad that the the idea was supposed to be he's like this super just focused methodical meticulous person um and that's how he was in the show which made it really interesting uh but in the books he just like they tried to sell him that way but then he was always going in half cocked and he'd like fuck stuff up and that caused horrible chaos but um anyway to circle it all back i you know the 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 idea of like the benevolent serial killer in florida that's exactly what i thought of first i'm like this sounds like dexter only um well done and it looks like uh, florida roadkill was published in 1999 and the first dexter novel was published in 2004 so um i was curious i'm like did uh did they improve upon the dexter idea like fix what was fucked up about it or um was it like its own unique thing so it's even more impressive it's its own unique thing that they just did better and uh and he also always has a cool old car so he'll have a 68 Camaro or a, or a whatever. But, but he, what he does is they drive back and forth across Florida is he tells Coleman the stories, which Coleman doesn't give two shits about, about <laughs> this town or this community or something that happened in history in 
you know, St. Petersburg or some small town. And when, and when you look them up, you're like, holy shit. shit. <laughs> and then I started seeing um, interviews and I was like, oh, so, so Dorsey is just like a history dude right. who's writing whimsical uh, serial killer uh drug sort of thing and and like there'll be these segues where uh, uh, he'll find uh, Coleman on the beach with uh, clearly Serge and Coleman are older so I'm guessing 40s maybe 50s and um, Coleman will be on the beach uh, shooting beer bongs and 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 smoking bowls with uh, college kids on spring break, and Serge will be like, "Hey, we have to go. We've got to go do this or whatever." And they're you know they're chanting his name on the beach and shit. So, uh, I mean, it's really really entertaining stuff. Highly recommended. Um, he actually every year has a uh, has an event. Um, I can't think what it's called. Let me look really quick. Um, but he has a um, um, an event about um, kind of a surge uh, fan club sort of event that's a drinking event in the um, um, St. Pete, Tampa area. I don't see it real real quickly, but uh, um, and maybe that's on social media where I've seen that before. But yeah, Dorsey actually has a surge fest type event. I don't know that it's called that, but uh, really cool. Um, two other authors that that are of similar genres, and and John, as you know, I like to spend a lot of time in in Key West and have for uh, twenty five or thirty years. I've, I've never heard this before. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had no idea you liked the keys. So, um, so been going to to the keys for 25 or 30 years and um, so the first person I stumbled across was Tom Kokorin and so Tom writes um, turns out his other claim to fame is that uh, he's done some uh, covers uh, for Jimmy Buffett albums and he's a friend of Jimmy Buffett he's also written some uh, some car man repair manuals and such but he writes a uh, a series, he's not very prolific, but he writes a series in Key West about a photographer named Alex Rutledge, who actually is a um, reluctant detective. The Key West Police Department or the Monroe, or the, uh, Monroe County Sheriff call him in to take pictures. All they need him to do is take the pictures and turn them over to him, and he becomes intimately involved in the stories. And uh, he's had some love interest with some of the police officers and, and such. There aren't really a ton of these. I don't know, maybe five, six, seven of them, even though he's been writing them for many years. He's just not prolific. But all of them are really good. Uh, they're they they give me vivid images of Key West. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, especially when you can kind of relate it back to an area where you spent a lot of time at. Um, I know uh, it, it's pretty rare. I can only think of a couple off the top of my head, but it's always been, uh, especially since I moved away. Interesting to read books set in like Pittsburgh, for example, which is where I'm from originally that you can kind of relate to those. And when they talk about specific places that you've been to before, it's just, um, it's, it's always neat and kind of helps you kind of immerse into things a little more when you're like, Hey, I've been there. That's cool. I can picture exactly where this is. Yeah. And so he hasn't written one in a while. Um, 
I keep hoping that uh, he's he's still down there. Uh, I stopped at that uh, the Key West bookstore. Seems like last winter, and uh, Judy was working, and she said she thought Tom had a book that was going to come out in the next year, and I, I've I've not seen it. So, uh, and he's not real great on social media or anything, so um, so haven't seen anything. And then this this other guy is is really new, relatively speaking, John H. Cunningham. So. Um, He's kind of like uh, one of those country songs where he's been everything. So he's been a bouncer, a pilot uh, in real life. Uh, he's a he, he apparently is well to do. He he does uh, real estate in the Virginia area and the Keys, and uh, but he's kind of done a little bit of everything in his life, and he started writing these these books. That the first ones I read were I actually read paperbacks that I got at um, a book the bookstore in Key West, and uh, they have a character called Buck Riley, and Buck was a um, I, I can't remember the name that they use, but but he he did the treasure hunting thing and found antiquities. He was an antiquities. Um, trader and he and his brother um, made tons of money something illegal happened uh, they lost it all I think Buck's brother went to prison Buck didn't he disappeared and he shows up in the keys and um, he uh, he has a float plane. And so he goes out and and still looks for treasures in the oceans, and there are all these uh, side mysteries and side hustles and sometimes recurring characters. There's there's a law enforcement character that's recurring at times and and has kind of blackmailed him to do some things, but it's mostly based in Key West and the Florida Keys. But they end up in the Caribbean a lot. So they end up, there's even been a book or two where they've ended up in Cuba. And, and once again, very vivid, I've never been to Cuba, but very vivid painting of where they're at. And, and so I can, can see it. Characters probably not as well developed as, as say the Alex Rutledge character or the ones before it, but he's, but Buck Riley has developed enough and the side characters developed enough. And, and also some of them are based on what I'd call real people who are are larger than life characters in Key West who I know about and so um so real interesting stuff um he always does something with color so I think there's five or six of these so the first one was red right return and the most recent one is the white knight and um uh, real good stuff and and so kind of a theme of of um Mystery sort of stuff, but all of these people are not hardcore. So they are human characters that are flawed and have humility and and also are interesting, exciting, and uh, funny and fun. Right. Now, I think um, I, I never – I guess it appeals to some people because characters like this always appear. I never like the characters who are just like 
they're perfect and they're going to get it right every time and they always know exactly what's going on and that's sort of, I'm like that that's just so boring like that, that's nobody's like that you know um and so having that kind of character development where you can kind of relate and they can still be cool they can still be super badass but like they can't be perfect and and I think um I think when characters are perfect that's when you fall into that sort of uh, trope where every book is going to basically be the same because they're perfect. I think that's what sort of one of those sort of leads to the other, I think. Absolutely. And so the, the last two uh, authors characters in, and the Alex novel uh, character and the book rally character, they are both very, uh, uh, they get their ass handed to them in any number of ways frequently, not every novel, for sure, but, but they, they have trauma that you don't, necessarily see coming and then you see the human uh, nature in which they react to that and how they come out of it and how they're traumatized and and in some cases other people are involved and maybe hurt and how that affects them so right right you can kind of see that progression then like the 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 next time they're in a, a situation maybe somewhat similar to that like how does that now affect how that character responds to the situation because yep. of what they've had experience with before yeah. so um like you i read all the time uh, but these are kind of like anything that comes out from any of these i i go to i actually watch for them i get on amazon frequently and do a search and then hit the publication date to see what's coming out from them. So you know when you can uh, warn Jenny that she is getting it, no credits. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so, so those are the, the big ones for me as well. Um, we definitely should, should do kind of that uh, activism, uh, uh, government secret, sort of stuff uh, episode at, at I, I some agree. point. I agree. I think we've we've both run across a number of those books that we haven't shared with each other, but uh, I bet we've read a number of the same books. Yeah, we probably have. And uh, I know of a few um, ebooks that have been added to my library over the years that would be relevant for that discussion that I have not made my way around reading yet as well, that I'd be like, well, that's a good reason to, to kind of cut those into place and I, I do know that our podcasting has forced me at times for things that were on my to-do list to do to go ahead and do it right. so that we're ready for an episode. <laughs> exactly. So so if nothing else, and nobody listens to our podcast but us as we record it, um, that's been valuable to me to kind of um, – I always feel like I'm expanding my my circle, but – but sometimes you get a little stale, and so it it forces me to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a good motivator to know that. Hey, I want to, I really want to do this because it'll be a great discussion point in an episode. And otherwise, uh, maybe I I'd, I'd enjoy reading it or whatever it is. I I would enjoy going through it, but there wasn't like the incentive to be like I really ought to get this done instead of you know watching uh, my my fourth hour of YouTube today or whatever else I was going to do instead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the pandemic things things can get a little routine. Exactly. So, uh, so John, where can people find you online? Yeah, so people can find me online. Uh, JFabHD is my website. I've got uh, a little write up about myself there, and then links to all the other places I happen to be online. Um, 
The big one being unusually.pink. That's the website for, uh, it used to be the website for my former podcast with our uh, good friend Brandy. I don't even really like beer that much i i hit the i hit the right button this time uh, and, and i was impressed that you uh, I, uh, that I you hit the right button fuck but. that up um i, I still blog there and uh, actually relevant to uh, the discussion on books um I'm, I'm hoping this weekend to work on a post um i i very frequently will watch um like I had mentioned earlier, I don't watch a ton of TV shows, but I love watching movies. And I'll frequently watch movies and think, boy, that was a really terrible movie, but the idea was good. And so I want to go back to the source and then I'll I'll read maybe the book that the movie was based on. And uh, there's, there's nothing saying that'll be any time relatively close. Case in point, probably about two years ago uh, when the film The Silence released on Netflix, uh, I watched it and I thought that that movie was just absolute garbage. Uh, but I thought the idea was really cool. And so just last week, I finally read the book, The Silence, that the movie was based on. Um, and I found the book to be very well done uh, and that the movie just butchered it. So hopefully in the near future, a post uh, finally closing that loop from two years ago will, will happen. I'll look forward to that. Interestingly, I meant to say this earlier when you when you veered off of books onto to TVs and movies, but I can focus on an hour TV show way more than I can focus on a two-hour movie. Yeah, I can. I, I could definitely see it both ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'm also hoping um, I had basically the same reaction to the film um, Bird Box when that came out on Netflix, where I was like, really interesting idea. I really thought the movie was trash. And uh, so the, the next ebook I have lined up now that I've finished reading The Silence is Bird Box. So I'll be curious if... I get the same uh, response there, or if I'm like, nope, they're both just really bad. Yeah, so we'll, yeah absolutely. We'll, we'll see. Uh, how about you, Mark? Where can people find you on the internet? Well, I, I did do some some web development recently. If you've listened to our, <laughs> our last episode, you'll see that uh, that our, our friend Chris has a, uh, a crispy new uh, website on uh, Squarespace uh, for the Central Kentucky Bluebird Trail. Um, I don't think he has that uh, name I, resolution. I was just out gonna. Yet. I was gonna ask if uh, you happened to uh, know if he had the. I, I checked the it domain last night. It up. wasn't working. Uh, no, uh, his domain is still uh, the GoDaddy parking page. So, so uh, uh, it's that was was it two weeks ago? Now? Two weeks ago. Uh, okay, and it's, uh, two weeks in one day. <laughs> yes. To, to, if we want to be exact, so yeah, which we do when it comes to Chris. So too. I did a draft of his uh, website on like June third or June sixth. I needed words from him, never got words, and so you and I worked on. Uh, I did the website, you did the social media, and we knocked it out. And we surprised him on the last podcast, and he said he was going to get right on it to get that. He has paid he did. for the website. And he said he had wrestled his domain away from GoDaddy, but it's clear to me he has not. Yeah, um, that's that. That domain is not working. So unless somebody else has the exact same domain, that's like maybe a character different, and he's given us the wrong one. I don't know, but it's uh, it's parked. It's parked. So uh, <laughs> so yeah. So so I did finish his up, and so uh, next up is the Craft Brew Geek. Uh, 
uh, com uh, website, but if you go there, it'll take you to my Instagram, and I'm Craft Brew Geek on all the socials. I don't know when this episode will come out, but uh, check Instagram, the uh, Craft Brew Geek. I've put a couple of fundraisers out there. The Brewer's Daughters in Lexington have uh, are raising money for all the beer tenders of the breweries in Lexington, a great cause. And uh, I've offered up uh, free stickers for people that uh, donate if they DM me after they donate. So, uh, And there's also some swag you can win from the Brewer's Daughters. Uh, it's a super good uh, thing to try to raise $5,000 to give back to the, the beer tenders during the pandemic and uh, what would have been the busiest time of year for them, and they're missing out on 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 just the regular money plus the tips. So uh, everybody should check out the Brewer's Daughters for sure. Yeah, that was super cool uh, when you let me know about that. I, I had to go on there and, and also do some donations. Uh, like you say, you get entered into like a raffle with like a big swag bag with uh, stuff from the, the different breweries. And I think if you do at least like five bucks, they'll send you a sticker, that sort of thing. But honestly, just a really cool way to, to kind of give back and and I know uh, you're obviously the same that anytime I, I happen to go to one of the breweries to pick something up, if there's an option to tip, even if I'm just grabbing beer and leaving, I'm I'm tipping and trying to be pretty generous because it Absolutely. is such a hard situation there. And I know even uh, yesterday when we were at the farm, you, you very graciously um, purchased beer for me, so I didn't even have a tab open. But when I grabbed four packs to go and they rang it up, I'm like... I threw a pretty decent tip on there just because it's um, it's, it's a tough time for them. It, it is. And um, if you'll notice in our uh, podcast uh, um, container over there, the Brewer's Daughters uh, uh, sticker. Oh, you put the sticker? On, I didn't on, even notice on that on one. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, <laughs> I set it offset thinking there might be another thin one that can go along uh, the side of it. But they are absolutely on there. So uh, till next time, John, I will uh, see you later. Yep, you have a good one.